At the intersection of ideas and action, this is Longitude Soundbites, where we bring innovative insights from around the world directly to you. My name is John Erdogan, and I'm a Longitude Fellow from Bryce University. In today's episode, we will be featuring highlights from a conversation I led with Dr. Andy Stanford-Clark, Chief Technology Officer at IBM UK. He's also the technical leader of IBM's team working on Mayflower Autonomous Ship, which we explored for our Imagination series to learn about the roles of individuals and the experiences that brought it to fruition. Today, the ocean covers more than 70% of Earth, and more than 80% of it remains unexplored. As an engineering student working at the cross-section of statistics and data science, I was interested to hear about the technical challenges of creating an intricate marine vessel that could gather and process data for ocean research using only an artificial intelligence-based computer brain and not a ship captain. We started our conversation with Dr. Stanford Clark's description of the Mayflower Autonomous Ship. The Mayflower Autonomous Ship is a, uh, a small ship. It's about 15 meters, 45 feet long, six meters wide, about 18 feet. Uh, and it's made of uh, aluminium. It's a trimaran design, so it's got two wings coming out the side of the main hull. And the main thing about it is there are no people on board. So it's going to sail around the oceans, uh, uh, captained by an AI captain. So some software based on IBM products uh, for m machine vision, um, optimization and rules-based decision processing, uh, which together form the brain of the AI captain. And the purpose of the ship is to explore the oceans and have experiments on board that will uh, improve our understanding of the impact of climate change on the ocean and also the, uh, the effect of pollution of the ocean from, from humans. And so from that, we plan to spend long time at sea gathering large amounts of data and use that to change our understanding of this not very well understood massive resource that's 70% mm -hmm. of the uh, Earth's mm -hmm. surface. Mm -hmm. How long have you been a part of it and what led you to become the technical leader of this project? So IBM has been involved for about five years when we accidentally, um, one, of my, one of my colleagues attended a conference where the designer of the ship was speaking about the physical design of the ship. And uh, he went up to the speaker and said, how are you going to build the AI captain? And they said, we don't really know yet. And so my colleague said, IBM will help you. Uh, so that's how IBM got involved. I've been involved for about the last two and a half years, um, mainly when IBM officially announced our partnership with Primari, which is a company that's uh, sponsoring the ship, uh, that's funding it. Um, so we came on board as the official technology partner, and that started a whole whirlwind of um, promotional activity and media interviews, podcasts, uh, conference presentations, and uh, as, the, as it was in the, the run-up to the launch of the ship, um, you know, a lot more focus on the day-to-day um, -day, um, requirements of how the different teams in IBM interacted with uh, M-Subs, which is the company that's building the, uh, uh, the Mayflower Autonomous Ship. Uh, so I took the role as the uh, technical lead from, from IBM, coordinating all of activity, but also the, the sort of the media front, uh, the, you know, the, the media persona, of IBM's involvement with the Mayflower project, which is really, really exciting. Yeah. 
Do you think IBM is going to continue this project to an extent that goes beyond what we have today? And where do you see uh, IBM's involvement in the Mass 400 project in the next five to 10 years? We're involved in Mass 400 for a number of reasons, not only the sustainability in the marine research and helping further the science of climate change, but really we see this being the beginning of a new era of the marine industry. 400 years ago, the original Mayflower set out from Plymouth, UK to sail across the Atlantic to, mm-hmm. to the US. So we have really see this as the beginning of the next 400 of the marine industry and sort of challenge and innovation and uh, exploration at sea. And so a big part of this is that the AI captain technology is highly transferable to other ships from uh, research ships, as we find with Mass 400, through um, Navy ships for the military, uh, a lot of uh, interest from them on autonomous ships and autonomous submarines, um, and also for for cargo ships. And we're already talking to quite a lot of uh, large container companies about how what the future of shipping will look like. Uh, You can imagine that uh, ships will have far fewer people on board uh, and the actual navigation will be done by by computer systems. You might even imagine a future where there's a human captain on board and there's a second pair of eyes, an AI captain looking over their shoulder, saying, oh, look out for that iceberg over there um, to avoid any nasty accidents. And you might, I've talked to some of the marine insurers like Lloyds of London, and they say that in the future they might require a ship to have that kind of technology on board, just as our cars have to have ABS brakes and seat belts and airbags Mm -hmm. before we can get insurance. Ships might have to have similar equipment on board. Uh, The AI captain uh, of guardian angel looking over their shoulder uh, before they can set to sea. That'll make the shipping industry a lot safer uh, and a lot less expensive, particularly for for research, because it costs a huge amount to have a, a crew of 20 people and researchers um, out at sea for months on end. Um, they only get a tiny amount of time working on their experiment because it takes a long time to get to and from the research site. And they have to eat food and drink water and get paid and go on vacation and they get mm-hmm. sick. Mm-hmm. And all these things which cost you know, a huge amount and reduce the uh, efficiency of a trip. Um, whereas the autonomous ship can just go out in the ocean and just stay out there for months on end. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's where we see the value of this. Mm-hmm what kind of uh, outputs that you have gathered so far with regards to advancements in um, marine science and uh, research? So the original plan was that she'd set sail on the 16th of September 2020, the exact 400th anniversary of the original Mayflower setting sail to traverse from Plymouth, UK to Plymouth, Massachusetts, following the same route. Uh, But because of COVID, um, the development, the, the building of the ship got delayed. So we had the naming ceremony on that date, um, but she was still not fully, you know, the, the AI captain wasn't f- fully functional at that stage. Uh, so we did some um, trials around the UK and she finally set off the US uh, on the 15th of June uh, this summer, just gone. Um, she got about four days into the mission, uh, just got past the west, no, three days, but just got past the west tip of Ireland. Uh, so she was really facing the open ocean and um, a component broke in the generator exhaust system. So it's a really trivial mechanical part, a pipe fractured. Uh, mm-hmm. So the exhaust gases were going into the wrong place and it was polluting the generator and we wouldn't have had enough power 
although mass 400 is solar powered she has a diesel a biodiesel generator as a backup and we couldn't rely on getting enough energy from the sun to keep her keep her going all the time so it would have taken a very long time it would have taken months and months to get to america so we decided to turn back now, the ai captain technology and all the it systems on board were working absolutely flawlessly it really you know, they really gave us great confidence in the technology uh, so we spent the rest of the summer redesigning and replacing the generator system and she went back in the water two weeks ago at the uh, in the middle of september and she'll be going out in in local missions in the uk for the next few months so we can make sure everything's working properly, in particular the science experiments, because one thing we learned was yeah. that uh, the experiments work great on the workbench in the laboratory, but they don't work so well when you put them in a salty environment and shake them about relentlessly yeah. in, inside a ship. Uh, so we have a number of adjustments to make to some of the experiments. Uh, we gathered some good data from the video cameras uh, on board, and we also gathered some good data from the hydrophone, which is the, the underwater microphone listening out for uh, whale and dolphin songs. And we found a really nice clip of dolphins swimming along with Mayflower um, on, the, on the second day. Uh, and we've identified the, the hydrophone clip from that same time. So we're currently analysing that to see if we can actually catch the clicks from the dolphins. We've got some other data as well from the, the hazard detection experiment, which looks at the camera images and uses a, a very clever system on a chip, uh, so basically a, a neural network on a chip, to uh, look, look at those visual images and uh, look for recognised objects, so boats, people. The current plan is to uh, defer the next US attempt until next April, because we'll, we'll run into the winter storms about November time. Um, so we don't want to head off into a big storm because you know there's some pretty big waves out there. Yeah. So um, next next spring we'll be uh, heading off back to the US. That's the current plan. Uh, I'm very impressed by the subtle technological complexity behind the project that is not easy to see when you look at a regular ship. I have several technical questions for you. Uh, <laughs> My favorite. So. <laughs> So how many people do you have uh, inside the technical team and what kind of programming languages do you use? Uh, how do you utilize the mathematics into the programming of different neural networks? And what were some of the technological challenges that you have to tackle and how did you tackle that? So I think this is three questions pack <laughs> packaged as one question. Okay, great question. So we have more than 100 people inside IBM working on Mayflower project in different aspects wow, of it. That's impressive. So, yeah, so not all of those are full-time, but very few of them are full-time. Most of them are doing it because we love the project. So we're just doing evenings and weekends, Yeah, um, grab, grabbing a bit of time here and there just to squeeze it in alongside our day jobs. Um, but it's probably, it's probably 20 people, I think, working full-time kind of officially as their day job. Um, most of those are working on the machine vision part of it, um, and there's a lot of technology going into that, which is using deep learning, um, trained on it, labelled images, so captioned images. We've got more than 2 million captioned images of things you might see at sea, uh, which are being used. To, so we're training the model uh, in the IBM cloud, and then we're downloading the trained model into the ship itself, so it's an edge computing solution. 
The other part of it is the rules-based decision system, which actually encodes the collision regulations, which is the, uh, the call regs, as we call them. Um, it's the kind of the um, the rules of the road for when you're at sea. So they're the rules you have to obey. And that's been written not in a neural network, but in a rules-based system. So the nice thing about that is we get full explainability. So we can tell from looking at the logs exactly what set of preconditions the AI captain was experiencing from its sensors, from the from the, uh, the cameras, the radar, the AIS, the weather systems, all, all, all the different sensors. Um, in terms of programming languages, uh, quite a mix. Uh, we've got a lot of Python, a lot of Java, a lot of C, some Ruby, some Go. Um, I think there's pretty much everything, <laughs> everything oh, yeah. on board because different people have developed different systems. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what else did you ask? Um, Oh, so some of the problems. Well, some of the biggest problems, yeah. interestingly, is um, how you um, disambiguate images in the cameras. So imagine you've got a camera uh, and the, it, it's moving left and right and up and down. And the yeah. ship you're looking at is moving left and right and up and down. You've got two things that are moving left and right and up and down. It's really easy to convince the computer or convince yourself that the entire picture is full of ships. Um, but to convince yourself there's just one ship there requires some really careful um, first of all, image segmentation, but also uh, data fusion from things like radar and AIS saying, well, it looks like there's 20 ships in front of us, but actually the radar saying there's one, and the AIS is clearly saying there's one. So let's go with one, shall we? And uh, base our decisions around that. And the other problem is uh, the multi-ship problem. So collision regulations are really easy, very well defined when there's just one ship, so there's you and somebody else, who goes in front of who, who gives way to who, who slows down, who speeds up, how much space you have to give, all that sort of stuff. But if you've got multiple ships in the picture, now it becomes like a game of chess. So you say, well, if I move, if I move out of the way of this one, I'm moving into the path of this one. Hmm, I can't do that. Okay, so maybe I slow down a bit. Oh no, because that means I cut off this guy behind me. Hmm, maybe I just stop. No, then you become a floating hazard. So uh, there's all these things that you, like, become really complicated as soon as there's multiple players involved. And that's really where the optimizer component of the AI captain comes in. So it basically takes all possible future outcomes and says, okay, given the constraints I have, which is the best outcome? And the best outcome is kind of a bit like a Maslow hierarchy of needs. Uh, the first rule is don't hit anything. Okay, that's the number one rule. So all other things like how you get to America, how you run the experiments, how you preserve power, how you make best use of the solar panels, how you head up into the wind, all of those are secondary to don't hit anything. Wow. All of the technical complexity behind it sounds extremely challenging, but also extremely interesting as well. What kind of sensors do you use in order to be able to gather data for a combination of so many different experiments that you can try to pursue? Yeah, so there's two, two, two classes of sensor. One is the ones for the situational awareness for the AI captain itself. So those are cameras, radar, AIS, and a little local weather station. And then weather data sent in from the weather company, which is the, the weather forecasting company that IBM owns. Uh, we process that in all the weather, the 15 minute weather forecasts in the cloud. So we can basically tell Mayflower what weather it needs to know about to factor into its assessment of where it's going to go next. So that's kind of navigational stuff. And for the experiments, each different experiment has its own set of sensors. Uh, so there's the hydrophone, there's a, a sonar thing, which kind of points at the waves to see what 
to kind of assess the angle of the waves. There's a, a, a chemical sensor which assesses pH and salinity and conductivity and temperature and stuff like that. Uh, then we've got a really cool experiment, uh, which is called Hypertaste, which is a, an electronic tongue, which came from IBM Research in Zurich. And that uses different uh, ion sensors trained with a neural network rather like our own tongue. So there's one for sweet and one for sour and one for bitter. Uh, mm -hmm. So there isn't a sensor that we don't have a sensor in our mouth for orange juice. We just know that the combination of the activation of those different sensor areas in our tongue, we know we recognize that as orange juice. So in the hypertaste, the, the rate of saturation of the different ion sensors tells us against a trained neural network model that that's something that one of the chemicals are looking out for. So we take in a small sample of water, run it through the hypertaste system. It goes past all the different ion sensors. We wait for a few seconds for it to saturate over time, compare that against the, um, the machine learning model. We say, right, we've, we've, we've sensed this particular chemical that we're looking for. And then we flush it through, flush it with clean water and get ready for the next one. We also use the same sample. Uh, we take a photo with a very special um, microscope, it's almost like a 3D microscope that's uh, from the University of Plymouth. Uh, so it almost takes like a, a bit like a hologram, it's almost like a hologram image of the of the water, and that's looking for microplastics. This is, you know, we've all seen photos of the big rafts of plastic bottles that are floating in the ocean. Microplastics is much scarier. This is where the plastic from landfill has washed down the rivers into the water, and these are pieces of plastic smaller than you can see with the eye. You can see with the microscope, plankton eat those, and then they get into our food chain. So when you eat a fish, then you're eating plastic from, from the microplastics in the water. What we don't know is how bad that is as you get into the deep ocean, because no one's ever measured it in the far, like in the middle of the ocean, they've only ever measured it near the edges. So one of the experiments is to assess this microplastic uh, density. I'm really surprised that IBM has developed so many different sensors. They have like the uh, tasting sensor they have like this uh, weather forecasting i think ibm is producing technical products in a very diverse range of fields it looks like um yeah that's, that's one of the amazing things about ibm we operate mm -hmm. in so many different industries so many different countries what do you think propels ideation yeah what do really you think uh, drives the team behind this project that works voluntarily sometimes or gives up from their weekends or from the nights that they can have with their families and friends yeah so i guess there's two parts to it one is there are uh, there's a long list of technical um, objectives that need to be met so you know we've had technical teams working as i mentioned for a number of years um, to develop the core technology that goes on board the ship from everything from machine vision to edge computing to internet of things to um uh, the, the decision system that drives it, all that stuff's got to work on uh, very um, in a disconnected world. So you can't assume that you've got a high bandwidth data connection to the cloud because you know, we simply haven't. Um, so everything has to work with partial partial connectivity. Um, so the, the the real motivation for those teams has been that this is a, a really unusual project for a really unusual customer. Um, it makes a great reference, a great showcase for our technology. And we think, well, if we can make it work on board a ship that's barely connected to the internet, then it'll work in all sorts of other um, better connected situations and more uh, reliable 
uh, environments. So that's so that was part of it. But the all the other people working, it's really been the, the pure passion of uh, you know, a fantastic team. We've been really lucky to work with amazing people at Promari and MSubs and Marine AI, also the IBM team, all working together. Um, because you've got a very common focus. You know, the, the idea was to get get the Mayflower out into the sea, heading off for America in June, and everything was focused on that date uh, and all the things that had to come together, all the lists of things that had to be ticked off before it could go, um, getting all the experiments online working and calibrated, um, r- rapidly running out of time, had all the people lining up to receive the data when it came in. And this is a... You know, a very unusual situation you know, we don't often do these kind of moonshot type uh, events uh, projects uh, and when we do it's it really galvanizes people around it today we had a deep dive into the challenges of creating mayflower autonomous ship and the technical collaboration behind it Hearing the story of a team who worked so selflessly to protect the oceans by implementing machine vision and edge computing into a marine research vessel was an eye-opening example of using technology to help our planet. But we don't have to be programmers or statisticians to protect our hydrosphere. We can start somewhere with simple steps. Ocean explorer and filmmaker Jacques Cousteau says, people protect what they love. So. We can start by going out and exploring our oceans and learning how the hydrosphere keeps the world and us together. We hope you enjoyed today's segment. Please feel free to share your thoughts over social media and visit longitude.site for the episode transcript. Join us next time for more unique insights on Longitude Soundbites. Bites.